We have all certainly been on the receiving end of hurtful words. And uh, if anything, we are experiencing that uh, even more, given the, the times in which we live, uh, divisive times, of course, for our country. And, uh, and it seems that often when uh, people are talking about maybe difficult topics or for whatever reason, we seem to be especially good at, at lashing out with words that can cut very deeply and inflict uh, a lot of pain. And, and sometimes, of course, it doesn't need to be uh, a political squabble or anything around sort of momentous, weighty issues. Sometimes it is um, over personal slights or uh, uh, any, something that uh, emerges out of a misunderstanding that can lead to really unfortunate, painful things being said. What do we do when somebody has spoken to us or about us in a way that causes us pain? How do we move beyond it? Uh, Janelle Rairdon has written a book on this topic called Overcoming Hurtful Words, Rewrite Your Own Story. She uh, is a speaker and author and relationship uh, expert and uh, life coach uh, from a Christian perspective, as a matter of fact. And in this book, she seeks to give us some strategies that can help uh, help somebody move beyond what has maybe been a very, very painful, hurtful uh, exchange. And we're going to be speaking with her for the next few minutes uh, uh, about uh, her work and about this book, again, called Overcoming Hurtful Words, which is published by Worthy Inspired. Janelle Rarden, we welcome you to The Morning Show. Oh, thank you, Greg. It is an honor to be on your show. I'm glad we can have this uh, this conversation. Uh, what, if anything in particular, prompted you to uh, explore this particular topic uh, to to such uh, such length? Hmm. Very personal, obviously. It was first and foremost uh, to dig into this whole emotional, relational trauma subject. Uh, there was a tipping point with a female leader, uh, but it really was a tipping point, Greg. Uh, as I reflected back, I come from the home of an alcoholic father. My husband does as well. And so there was certainly a lifelong history within my own personal family of origins of hurtful words and actions from people that, you know, are supposed to be your safe people. And so I think that it's really been an ongoing process in my life. I can reflect back to being, you know, six, seven, ten, year, ten years old and going, there's just something not quite right here. <laughs> so I think I've been, uh, I, I was born into a world very sensitive, very intuitive, uh, very empathic. So I think it has truly been a lifelong journey of understanding the power of our words. Hmm. Words have always been very, very important to me. Maybe that's just what my whole entire purpose in life, as I look back now over, you know, half a century. So I think it became, for me, a lifelong process that then hit a tipping point where I just, boy, it was an emotional, traumatic crisis. And I thought, I can't live this way anymore. I need to make some changes. And change begins within my own heart. Hmm. And so as a teacher, as a counselor, I began to research. And that's what I did. Hmm. And it led me to uh, this new program, this new, whole new pla- 
platform on which I will stand till the day I die. Hmm. Uh, a couple things I want to ask you of kind of overarching fashion. Uh, mm-hmm. One of them is, uh, and I think it's important to, to, to say this, that because this is a public radio station, uh, it's actually yeah. not often that, uh, that I uh, deal with books that are quite explicitly sort of Christian in their focus, although I happen to be a Christian sure. and my Christian faith is very important to me, but but that's mm-hmm. typically not what this program can or, or really should be about. Uh, right. However, in, in, in this case, uh, I really felt like this was a book that had some very important things to say, potentially even to somebody who maybe comes from a different faith tradition or potentially even... Uh, without any faith tradition whatsoever. But I, th- I think yeah. you are talking about something very, very important and and something that potentially could, could make a difference, uh, whether or not somebody happens to have the same background of, of, of faith that, that you do. Uh, I'm just curious Love if you thought about that at all as you, as you wrote this book, hoping it, that, that it would not only be uh, a helpful book for your own fellow believers, but would even have something to offer uh, somebody else. Oh, you just hit the nail on the head, Greg. Uh, It was actually a tension, uh, my whole process of writing, because it really is a topic that extends the realm of what we would call organized religion. Um, It is a tenet in living a meaningful life, a rich, rewarding life. It's a book that deals with civility and integrity and reaches beyond the realm of faith. I just so happen to to adhere to the Judeo-Christian worldview. So it, you know, I do speak of God. I talk about Jesus, and I see that as an ancient text that I adhere to, and I believe in wholeheartedly. But the subject, as in my practice, my private practice, totally speaks to every human being on, at the core level. So it it definitely reaches beyond uh, the faith realm. And I sure pray that it does, Mm. because not only does our nation need this message, the world needs this message. We have somewhere forgotten the practice of discretion, the practice of civility, the practice of just being um, empathic human beings. Right. I quite agree. You also, at some point uh, early on in the book, make mention of how a a lot of this book— springs not only out of your own understanding ex- and experience, but, but also from having, to s- having spoken with many, many women. And mm-hmm. uh, the, the thing I want to ask you about is that matter of women versus men. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. to, to what extent this book really is written for women and about women, or is this something in which you think women experience this in a way different from the way men experience this. Uh, help us understand that divide, particularly in terms of what you were thinking, how you framed this in your own mind as you wrote this book. Is this a book, in a sense, only for women? Mm, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, I will definitely explain my tenet for this. Um, in my private practice, in not only in my private practice, but then in my uh, speaking and lecturing, and um, it tended to be women waiting around 
to talk, women standing in line. Uh, in the in my practice working with marital couples, it, it ended up it ended up totally being the woman was more the heartbeat, the heart, uh, bearing the burden for the family in the sense that we are typically the more emotional, more sensitive, more empathic, not on the whole, but typically. And so for the purpose of this book, I felt like I, I think the woman truly is the heart of the home. And, you know, the old adage that uh, the, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world, right? Uh, we are the child bearers. We are the ones that create that initial deep, intimate bond with children uh, in the womb. So it, it does come, I'm a woman, it comes from that perspective, speaking to the heart of a woman. But, and women truly are the readers, you know, statistically in the family. And so it is definitely not just for women. And maybe we can expand this as we move into the next book and the next book. I totally would love to have a family book and a whole family curriculum on how to do this as a family. But, uh, yeah, so Ernest's answer is just narrow the focus of this particular book to speak to the woman, and then hopefully it'll go and expand from there. Right. You talk in the book about uh, some terms that I'm pretty sure you have, have coined that uh, mm -hmm. all relate to the word heart, the human heart. <laughs> and in particular, you, you talk about um, the heart rift and the heart sift and the heart lift the heart and the heart shift and uh it, yes, it's it's very yeah and it's really interesting to to think about all of that of course all of this really begins with when someone has suffered what you call a heart rift explain yes. typically uh how a heart rift is is sort of suffered or how a heart rift is inflicted on someone and 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 what it typically feels like typically feels like an emotional earthquake. Um, I write in Overcoming Hurtful Words how here in Virginia we, one August afternoon, experienced an earthquake. Now that's the East Coast. We don't experience earthquakes here. And it was about, the epicenter was about 150 miles from my home. And, um, you know, it just rattles and shakes everything. So kind of working on that metaphor of earthquake physically that emotionally we experience a an earthquake when someone delivers shocking harmful hurtful you know often emotionally paralyzing words uh it we experience that deep layer within our heart where it it causes a rift you know the, a, a little fracture and for some of us, that starts early in our life, and then, you know, the rift just gets to a point where, you know, it just can't take anymore. So a heart rift is that first stage of the heartless method that um, you move through in the book. And it's just those deep wounds that are caused by those heartbreaking words. And typically... They're deeper when they come from a close, trusted friend or family member. Right. I was just going to say, yeah. yeah, that the strangers can inf certainly inflict pain, but it is not the same as when no. somebody you love and trust uh, has, oh, has delivered. Oh, people. Yeah. So yeah, it's really the, the same experience I felt sitting in my living room. It was actually 
taping a video series from my very first book in 2007, Rock Solid Families. I was taping a video series and an earthquake happened. <laughs> so all of the, the book, Rock Solid, the tape, everything fell off the counter. And I was like, oh, my goodness, it comes that swiftly. Like, what just happened, you know? Hmm. And that's what first phase reflect what just happened, what on earth is going on here. <laughs> right. And I suppose that's part of when we talk about the uh, what you like to call the heart sift, where we yeah. where we take the time to kind of e- examine something, but in a way that is healthy. This is all about the premise of this entire, hopefully this whole new movement that I'm hoping to start is healthy and unhealthy. We really only have two choices of responding in life. Unhealthy is a reaction, healthy is a response. So yes, the heart sift, and I, and, and I know you're moving into heart lift, um, but the heart sift part is just really where you sit and examine in a healthy way, perhaps with a counselor, a trained life coach. I'm hoping to raise up an army of heart lifters <laughs> where you examine those risks just long enough in a healthy way and vocalize that crushing pain so that you can put it to rest, you can make peace with it, so that you can move into future freedom. So it is a methodical, heartfelt approach where just like you would sift flour, you're just going to go, okay, this happened to me, that's a marker on my life map, now what do I do with it? I think one of the things that's interesting about this this bit of advice is that I think what is sometimes... uh, assumed by people is that uh, the best thing somebody can do is try to put something behind them, uh, try to forget yeah, about it. And, and Yeah. And sometimes they are advised to do that. And sometimes it's something we ourselves feel like we should do because uh, confronting something, thinking about something that has caused us great hurt is, uh, is some, often something that causes us, at least in the short term, a, a great deal of discomfort. Um, but you are oh. you are saying that this is a process that we we simply cannot afford to avoid. If in fact you want to move into true freedom, you know, I, I with my clients and in my own personal life, I see people stop just short of the finish line. Right? It just gets it just gets to be too hard, too much work, and they stop. And so when that happens, you say you really stay stuck. Um. I write in the next book, I hate to go to that one, but I'm writing a lot more about the let it go thing. But, you know, really, Greg, do you want to be whole, truly whole? And if, in fact, you do, then it's it's vital that you examine your history of hurts, is what I call it, with a healthy perspective so that you can move on. Now, obviously, there are deeper wounds than others. You know, and, and that's, I'm not, I'm not saying that you're just going to move right along. It is going to be a process. I say over and over, this is not easy, but it's empowering, and I will walk with you through this. So we don't want to stop just short of <laughs> the emotional freedom finish line. We want to do the work, and that's why we, we need a community around us of support that, that will help us move beyond and forward. Could you say a word, please, about the three phases of what you call this heartlift journey of, of coming to terms with a hurt that we have experienced, the, 
the three phases of reflect, reframe, and mm-hmm. reauthor. Yes. So being a methodical person, being a very, I'm a very nuts and bolts human being and counselor and life coach. So I have always been the person who wants my clients to leave with a plan of action. So for me, it was like, okay, a heart lift is just the safe space where we vocalize our crushing pain, which is our history of hurts. We look at it long enough to, you know, to deal and to look at the unhealthy in order to move forward into future freedom. So we do that in three phases. Reflect, as you said, is the heart-rifting phase. We go, that's where the earthquake happens, and you go, holy cow, you're holding on to your chair. What just happened? (laughs) And in my vernacular, my my Judeo-Christian, I say, welcome God into the present pain. You know, that's the present pain. That hurts so bad. Oh, my goodness, what happened? All right, let's say outside the realm of faith, we can just say, welcome breath into that. Because breathing just means to gain composure. So I turn to God, I gain my composure there. Now that's that, Viktor Frankl says, between the stimulus and the response, there's a space. And that's a millisecond, usually. So, you know, a big, big initiative of this book is to train, you know, emotional health first responders, you know, so that we can go, okay, we're, we're going to practice, 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 and we're going to train everyone in our community to practice so that when these hurtful words happen, we know how to handle it. We move from what just happened to the reframe, which is the heart shift. That's where the heart goes, oh, and it awakens to truth. And this, in this reframing, you face the fault lines. You face those fault lines that have been shifting for years, those past hurts. And then with the help of your community or a, you know, a healthy uh, mentor or counselor or relational coach or trauma coach, you reauthor. It is a proven statistic, Greg, that when you make sense of your story, you can move into freedom. Just making sense of it. Hmm. Just going, okay, let me look at this and let me just wrap my brain around growing up for me in an alcoholic home and the repercussions of that so that I do not have to stay labeled as codependent or ACOA, et cetera, et cetera. You fill in the blanks of your life so that I can move into a meaningful, healthy life. So those three phases, that's how we move through it. And honestly, it leads to tremendous, tremendous freedom. Mm. In building what at one point you uh, you call a, a a new narrative that one builds yeah. uh, you know, for one's life. Yeah. Um, in in our last minute or two, uh, I wanted you to at least touch oh, on no. <laughs> time flies. As uh, I wanted you to just touch briefly on on something that you share in the book uh, about uh, a health crisis that you yourself experienced. Uh, mm-hmm. involving a, a what it was a, a condition I'd never heard of, but one that uh, can affect the way uh, someone swallows. So something as as uh, as essential to life as that. Uh, it, it's it's intriguing that this is included uh, in your book, uh, but I, I'm glad that it's there. It's a very poignant part of your own personal story. 
just mm-hmm. at least touch on on what I am talking about and explain how this experience has been important for you and important for your own uh, journey. Well, a very short story of a very long journey. Um, I began to have cardiac feelings as though I was having a heart attack and evolved, evolved, evolved into not being able to swallow. I couldn't even swallow water. So I went through a battery of very long testing until I finally went to an expert GI doctor who put me through a test and found out I have this rare disease, esophageal disease called achalasia. It actually means failure to relax, which is, was kind of funny for a type A girl, but um, I couldn't swallow. And so I remember sitting in the office when he said, you have achalasia, write that down in that little notebook of yours. And uh, by the end of this ordeal, Janelle, you're going to be an expert in swallowing. And I thought it was very interesting. So as I was going through the book, it wasn't my intention. But then when I got to looking up the word swallow, I saw that it meant one of the meanings is to suppress feelings. Well, I about fell off my chair. And when you look at it further, it can actually mean to resist something consciously. And behavioral scientists have come to see that repressors are people, you know, like myself, honestly. So the physical definitely related to my emotional state where I, you know, I maintain a stiff upper lip under all circumstances. (laughs) And they say that we're one of the most mystifying personality types. So people would always say, oh, Janelle, you're so strong, strong, strong. You're just the strongest person. Well, no, that's when I finally came to the end of my strength is where I really became, you know, a new person and began to write my new narrative because I couldn't physically swallow. I had to have an experimental surgery, the third in the state of Virginia, where they They just cut open your lower sphincter, so now it's just open all the time. So, Greg, for me, it just paralleled, and I felt like it was so very, very important because a lot of times when we suppress, we deny, we don't use our voice to respond in a healthy manner to this unhealthiness emotionally that's going on around us, that suppression is going to take a toll. And... And I see it happening every day. So if I can do anything through this book, through my, my, my time on this platform, this beautiful opportunity that I have been given, I hope to help people find their voice and voice equates to me with value, worth, and dignity so that when they are spoken to in a way that lacks discretion or unhealthiness, they can respond in a healthy manner. That's the whole my whole purpose. And so now I have a physical disease that constantly reminds me of this great emotional need that I see around me. Hmm. I I like that very much. I I don't like that you are dealing with this uh, mm. affliction, but but I appreciate no. the fact in which uh, you have in a uh, made sense of it and uh, and in a yeah. sense, made it a, a, a teachable moment for yourself and, of course, for all of us as well. The book, again, is we Overcoming. We do that, don't we? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. That's part of what it's all about. The book, again, you is... to turn it around. Yes. The book is Overcoming Hurtful Words, Rewrite Your Own Story, published by Worthy Inspired and the author, uh, Janelle Rairdon. Janelle Rairdon, I have very much enjoyed this, and uh, I'm grateful oh. for the opportunity to speak with you about your, your very, very interesting book. Very best wishes to you, and thank you for your time. 
future, Greg. Blessings.